What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bomb City Locker Room Talk Podcast. You're listening to episode 43. As always, I'm James. I am Jared Scott. And I am Joseph King. And holy cow, guys. Gentlemen, we have an episode tonight, don't we? Definitely. It's going to be a good one. It is. And ladies, because we have people in the audience tonight, too. We do. Uh, yeah, we have we have people in the room listening to this podcast tonight because this is going to be a very special episode. It's going to be a uh, a true crime centered around uh, crimes, heinous crimes that have happened in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, one of the main stories we're going to talk about tonight is the murder uh, that was committed by Johnny Frank Garrett. Um, we have joining us tonight Miss Lisa Updike and her sister Karen Logan, and they are the daughters of Walter Yerger. Uh, Walter was the one of the very first homicide detectives in Amarillo, Texas. Uh, he helped design the very first special crimes unit in Amarillo. So it's an honor to have you both here. Thank you for joining yes. us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming on. Um, one of the big cases that their father handled was uh, he was the lead homicide detective in the Johnny Frank Garrett murders. Is that correct? He was actually a, a, a supporting... Okay. Uh, detective but he was involved in that entire case yes okay very much so um real quick just kind of give a brief introduction to each of you lisa you can go first kind of what 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 specialty besides being his daughter kind of like why why, why do you want to talk about this tonight <laughs> um well um i am a licensed chemical dependency counselor um and that's always kind of intertwined itself with crime um and I have great empathy for other people. And um, I got a lot of that from my dad, actually. Okay. And then the other part of that is that I got my uh, master's degree in criminal justice. Wow. Yeah. And you've been doing this for? I've been counseling for 20 years now. My goodness. Oh, a long yeah. time. Um, all of the counseling, uh, some kind of, some sort of convict, I'm assuming in some way, somebody, most of them, um, I've worked with probation. I've worked with, uh, companies that have, um, had contracts with probation or parole. And, um, I lived in Dallas for 10 years and, uh, I did a lot of counseling down there. Okay. And when did you come back to Amarillo? Uh, it was about 2009. I lived with, yeah. with my sister for a little while, so yeah. Yeah, around then. Karen, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so, gosh, I don't even know what to tell you. Um, as far as kind of my connection to this kind of stuff, um, I have an undergrad and master's degree in public administration. Okay. And I feel like that actually was kind of influenced from our dad, even though when I initially got into it, I didn't even know what it was. Um, but I feel like, I mean, that's kind of the, um, the, the, the uh, field of study around um, police officers and firefighters and um, public management, like city managers, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, I always like to say it's like a business management degree, an MBA and a BBA, but for nonprofits and government. Very cool. That's an gotcha. easy way for people to understand what it is. And so I've actually worked in the nonprofit field for the last 10 years. Um, nice. But I am very interested in history and um, social sciences. And, of course, I've always kind of been interested in um, my dad's role in the community and how that has shaped a lot in our community and in um, our city 
Uh, we both have yeah. a, a great sense of justice because of what Absolutely. he instilled in Absolutely. us. So it sounds like he was a very big influence on both of your lives. Absolutely. Were you yeah. all very close with him? Um, I was a big daddy's girl. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. So I was too, but he and my dad separated when I was 11. And so, um, and he actually wasn't a part of my life after that. And then he died when I was 22, almost 23. And so I really didn't know my dad that well because I was 11 right. when he stopped being part of my life. But so I think part of it too, when I actually learned about these cases later in life, cause it's not something you tell no, your like right. infant daughter. Right. Um, and a lot of this happened when I was actually an infant. Um, but so I learned about this later and it's kind of a way to connect to him. So Good. what Good year did he begin his detective work here in Amarillo? Um, it would have been in the early eighties. Maybe maybe late seventies. Maybe late seventies. Yeah. You said he was a beat cop before. Yes. How long did he? When did he become a police officer? Um, I remember they moved here when Craig was like our big brother was like two. Yeah, yeah, and he's twelve years older than Karen, so and he's three and a half years older than me. So maybe early seventies. Yeah, it was the early seventies. Okay. I was gonna say late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and did he start his career in Amarillo? Yes, yeah. he did police academy here. <laughs> He, they lived in um, Simi Valley out in California, close to L.A., and he wanted to become a cop, and he was a semi-pro um, baseball player oh, wow. <laughs> um, awesome. for the yeah. Angels before they went pro. Um, but when our brother came along... He, he needed kind of settle down. Yeah, yeah, right. he needed, he yeah needed, to hang up his dream, right? Because he's, yeah. he's hitting yeah. the road a lot doing that yes, job. Yes, yes. Wow. And so he said he wanted to be a cop, and mom said, not in L.A. And <laughs> right. um, she was from here originally, and our grandparents were in Altus, Oklahoma. So they... Um, our mom's parents. Yeah, so they um, moved here, and he got... a. A job as a security guard at Sears first, and then got on with the police department. And he stayed at Sears you know, for a long time. Yeah. You know what's sad is your mom was probably at the time thinking, you know, LA is too dangerous. I don't want you being a cop here. Yeah. And then like yeah. high profile crimes like the Manson yes. murders and things like that happened. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, thank God we get away from that. And then you know, <laughs> he has yeah. these high profile crimes here in Amarillo. Yeah. Yes. That's that's kind of funny. Um, how long was he a detective for? He went over to, um, he was actually the chief of police at Emerald College starting in... Like 1990. Yeah, it was about 1990. Yeah. So it would have been about a decade he was with yeah. the special crimes. the late 70s to about 1990. But he yeah. was in law enforcement up until yes. the time of his death, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. And he died, he passed away in 2003. Three. Is that yeah. correct? Okay. Yes. Gotcha. Well, uh, Sorry for your loss. I know that was many Thank years you. ago, but the, I can understand that that never gets easier, especially being as close as y'all seem to have been to him. Um, what, what Was your dad willing to share stories of his time as a detective as you grew older? Mm. When did that actually happen? Yeah, well, I want to know when the fascination <laughs> with all this stuff started. Well, um, gosh, I was, I was like 10 maybe when... The Johnny Frank Garrett case. You would have been like 10. Yeah. yeah um, happened. And I was coming home from school and there was uh, murder scene photos all over the dining room table. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so, you know, I was very curious and, I, and mom was like, well, get rid of those, you know. And <laughs> and um, I would just ask questions about it then and there. So I remember vividly 
um, the cases that he worked and asking him questions and he would give me, you know, some sheltered things, but he was always on the news, you know, so. Did, as you um, got older, did he ever just kind of go full blown and open up everything? No, when I was Mm-mm. older. Um, or did you even ask at that point? Did it matter to you at that point to no, talk about it, any of that stuff? It, it didn't for a period of time. Of course, when we lost him, you know, there's a sense of I want to reconnect with yeah. that parent. And Well, I think there was probably about a decade to, or not even a decade, but... So in 1990, that's when he left APD and went to ML College. And I don't know that it was a completely amicable separation. Um, I think he had some hard feelings. I don't know the details of that, but um, but I could sense that there w- it wasn't always you know okay. a, a good separation. Um, he was happy to take the Emerald College position, and he was happy there. Um, and then and then our parents split in '91. Okay. Um, and then he he stayed on there, but he didn't have contact with his children, and so. Really, after he left the force, we there kinda, wasn't much. Yeah, we had a strange contact. relationship yeah. after that. Was, he, we'd talk to him now and then. But was there depression important. after that? Was it kind of just like a, that was like what he was good at? That's what he knew and that now he didn't have that anymore? Was was those things kind of sensed maybe? Um, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I think he found joy in whatever he was doing. I think professionally he was fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did, yeah. He, did he ever seem... Because we'll we'll get into some of the higher profile cases that he dealt yeah. with. It's not all about Johnny Frank Garrett, but uh, did it, anything ever seem to bother him? He, I mean, he, he sat me down one time and he said, "You know, I worked this case where this this little girl was sodomized. Do you know what that Jeez. means?" And oh you gosh. know, um, yeah. And um, I was like, oh, of I course, I was. I didn't. I didn't. And I, I was said, like, that I. Was an un- I that was an, un- 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 yeah, an unanswered question. I, just had <laughs> I was like, no. And so you know, he told me, and. Um, oh my goodness. And so he was like, "That's the kind of thing that I do. You don't want to really know much about it." And then, of course, these True Detective magazines started rolling in, and. I was reading them when I was not supposed right. to, you know, and kind of getting a better idea of what was going on. So. Which she probably knew what was going on. Did, I was one when the Garrett case happened. So, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what really inspired him to become a detective? Was there a moment in his life that kind of jolted him into that that mind space? To, I think it's to kind of a hereditary. Life? Yes. Yeah. Our fam- um, family of criminal yeah, well, justice. No. Uh, our uh, sort of. our grandfather, his dad. Um, was a World War II veteran, a okay. D-Day survivor. In fact. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and um, wow. yeah, he was one of those first on the beach at D-Day. And wow! And, and his little brother tried to join the army. Like they, they just really had a legacy of a very strong sense of justice and yes. wanting to fight for justice. Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, you know, not to we won't get too far off track, but every. All three of us here, me, James, and Jared, are all big history buffs. <laughs> did Did you know your grandfather at all? Yes. Did he, he tell you stories about any of that stuff? Because <laughs> a D Day survivor, like yeah, yeah he it's a he, needle in a haystack. Yeah, he had a lot of PTSD as a result, but uh, um, yeah. uh, he didn't talk about it a lot, like a lot of the World mm. War II veterans did. But I mean, it would be inappropriate things. We had a a slumber party with all the grandkids at their house one time. And we said, grandpa, tell us something scary. <laughs> and so he told us about, a um, guy that he was supposed to take his place at, um, on point that night. And he didn't come in when he was supposed to. And he went out an hour later and 
he said the Germans had slit the guy's throat from ear to ear, you know, and we were just like, well, that's kind of not what time we to had go in to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but again, I was unaware a lot of, of a lot of that, but right. as, as he, he got older, he passed when I was 16, which would have been like 96. I just aged myself. Um, and he, but as we kind of delved into learning more about him and, and our own curiosity about history, cause we're also history buffs. Um, it's a good we, thing to be a buff in. It is. Um, Love World War II. So. Yes, oh, yeah. I, I'm a huge World War yeah. II guy, too. My grandfather fought in World War II, and he yeah. was in northern Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was wounded and sent back home, and oh, he died gosh. when I was 13. Oh. So, yeah, he was yeah. he was an awesome guy. Yeah, um, but he wasn't at D-Day. <laughs> he spent time in Germany as well. No, I mean, yeah, he's, a, he's a hero. I'm just, yeah. I'm just being Thank a dick. You. Yeah, <laughs> D-Day is, you can't top that. And he had a silver star too. I had one grandpa that drove a truck and the other one, I kid you not, played basketball. Oh, wow. During World War II. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He went to Wayland and played basketball. Oh, wow. That was about it. Our other Lucky grandpa guy. was also in the service, but he was drafted um, and actually was on the boat when they they like called he was on the way to the philippines and they and they they said it was vj day yeah and so he actually still served as a mess cook a mess sergeant Mm -hmm. um but he did never see action and he always felt like he hadn't really served his country because that we were like oh yes 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 yes, emphatically yes Yes. he did but i i since you're history buffs i I do want to share just one story about our grandpa so as we learn kind of more about what his contribution was during world war ii um we learned that he his job was he was he carried the bazooka yes oh that is awesome that's a badass and that was a new weapon at the time yeah and um and so then our uncle our so our dad had one brother there was just the two of them and our uncle was he told us later in life that he was reading a book as a like elementary student or something and um the book was like about this story of this soldier who had like stood in the road and like pointed a bazooka at a jeep to stop the enemy a tank sorry tank to stop the enemy and um he was like this there's some things about this that seem familiar and you know, our grandpa wouldn't talk about it because he had a lot of PTSD. Mm-hmm. He had lost his hearing um, almost completely in the war. And uh, he said, Dad, was this you? And grandpa wouldn't quite confirm it, but we're fairly yeah. certain. Well, w- I am certain because um, I spoke to his squad leader. I found his oh, squad, right. squad leader several years after he had that passed. That was awesome. And I said, is this story true? And he said, yes, it happened outside of Vere, France. Wow. And it was a two-man bazooka, and he went out there by himself. That legitimately gave me chills. He was yeah. he was pissed off that they were killing his buddies, and so he stopped the what tank. No, no wonder man. he survived D-Day. The guy's out there standing <laughs> up into tanks by himself. Two-man bazooka? Like, I think they based Captain America on him. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That is awesome. So that was Walt, the detective. That was his dad, Walt Sr., so. so he had a lot to live up to. Yes. Like, and it seems like being a, you know, while being a baseball player is awesome. Yeah. yeah. He, he felt, he probably felt like, well, I'm not as cool as dad. And or maybe, I don't, I'm just assuming. Well, and his dad played ball and his grandfather played ball as well. It was, Actually, grandpa pe- played ball in the service too, so. That's like everybody yeah. played baseball back yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> you had said you, you had a great empathy for, for people, and yes. I'm sure he shared that same trait. Yes. And, and wanted to make a difference in the world. So 
Man. Yeah, not not so much that he just wanted to be a badass like his his uh he just felt like he wanted to do more probably. Yeah. Um Definitely. So, so very cool. Um you know, what was the was how far into his career was Johnny Frank Garrett as far as like a, as far as that special you said you know he was part of the first special crimes unit. Do you know when that first special crimes unit became into existence? It was the late 70s early 80s and like a decade into his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And real quick, jot my memory. When was Johnny Frank Garrett's? When did that murder happen? Eighty-one. Eighty-one. Okay. So Halloween eighty-one. It had yep. been not too long into its existence, right? And the, the year before the Pinkerton case had happened, right? And I thought that was after. I mm-hmm. No, that was like that. seventy-nine, somewhere around there. Yeah, and it was on Halloween as well. Yeah, I knew that was Halloween. That was like, yeah. uh, it, it, very eerie it's, and. For those that don't know, if you're listening, Johnny uh, or J. Kelly Pinkerton, uh, that murder is incredibly heinous. He he killed what three women? Two, two, two. two. Yeah. One in a home. It was a home invasion, and then one at a at apartment store. I think it happened in right. broad it, daylight. No, it was a, a furniture store. Furniture, furniture store in the and in it was back where room, we we had talked. Believe. It was like where the old Hastings distribution center used to be, right? I think so. Do you know that, James? If it was, I don't know if it was over there. Or there. Or... I'm not sure the exact location, but it, I'm sure it would be. They probably did an close episode that um, on that case on killer kids. Well, the first time I learned about it was on the front page of the Globe News, like a decade later, uh-huh. or two decades later, I guess. It was like the anniversary, and the Globe News ran like a whole, like they ran the original stories as like a series. So, oh, okay. your your father was a detective at that point, but just was not on that case. I'm I think ass- he helped with it. I was going to say, I'm assuming he knew something about he, it. Yeah, he knew. He knew. Um, he did help. At that point in time, they didn't have uh, the special crimes unit. And so they were just having to grab everybody that they could. You know, it was first one of the first heinous murders that Amarillo had seen. And so um, I knew a lot of those guys would come over to the house and... I remember my dad introduced me to one of the officers, Officer Tinbrink, and he said, this um, man, he caught a really bad guy. And I just remember it was a kid going, whoa. <laughs> and how, James, how old was Jay Kelly Pickerton? He was 17. Yeah, they were both 17. Wow. Wow. Two teenage accused. Within three years of each other. Murderers in Amarillo. I mean, the hysteria in Amarillo at the time, I, I couldn't imagine what it was like. And that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you all. And um, based on what you know, what was the community like during that time? Well, I remember my mother had asked um, Dad if it was okay if she took us all trick-or-treating, if it was going to be safe because of what had been going on. And that was right when that had happened? Yes. Okay. And um, Lisa would have been like nine. Yeah. And it wasn't that... Prime trick-or-treating age. Yes. Right. I want my candy. <laughs> yes. I was like, no, we're going. But um, she... Uh, Do you remember your Halloween costume from that year? No. <laughs> we always had something very creative, though. Mom always made our costumes. Yeah. That's awesome. I always, I always give more props to people that make their own. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, everybody was kind of looking over their shoulder, and was it is it just an eerie mood? I'm assuming, and like yes. even going into Johnny Frank Garrett, like that whole three years, was it just were people just like not knowing how what to do? You know, to yeah. put things into kind of perspective, like right now we're dealing with COVID, right? People are having during when all that started, you really didn't know the the proper 
protocols. You didn't know exactly what you needed to do, what was safe, what was locked down, what was open. Right. Was was there things shutting down earlier hours because of this, or it was so. it was the eighties in Texas? And by God, we don't care. <laughs> you, you nailed it. Yeah. yeah. But there, you know, I've read about um, that there were it was there was actually a series of elderly women who were raped. Um, mm in that time period that sister today, today events was mm-hmm. murdered by Johnny Frank Garrett. Um, and so I think there was a fear of, you know, call your grandma, call your mom, make right. sure that they're, they're safe. Right. I, did, did, did I have heard that the firearm sales went up dramatically in Amarillo. I'm sure they did. Every, well, every woman, Amarillo. every, yeah. <laughs> right. But at that time yeah. it spiked and every woman sure. in Amarillo was concealing and they were trying to protect themselves I'm because sure. this, unheard of murder happened in this Bible Belt city and everyone was just on edge. And that's another thing, like uh, for the most part, Emerald to this day is still predominantly Southern, Southern Baptist. Um, how, how would you view the times then? I mean, very, was it very, how, was it extremely Christian oriented uh, homes yeah, back then? This is, yeah, yeah, this has always been the Bible Belt. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So even like in the, the hearing the details of, especially I mean, I mean, Johnny Frank Gertz is just as bad, in my opinion, too. But J. Kelly Pinkerton, the, the, the body mutilation that he performed, it, it just kind of... Yeah. I can't imagine that, what A, he, the time what period... What he did and was the, and really, then, really awful, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think we deal with with crime now in Amarillo as a larger city um, that probably was still a factor then um, is that... And, and actually, I remember reading a little bit on the Pinkerton case about this, is that the location of the Pinkerton murder was a safe, quote unquote, safe area of town. Mm-hmm. So we don't bat an eye, really, if we hear about somebody murdered in a motel on the boulevard. Right. right. Yeah. And that's the, the, yeah. Sad, the sad reality that 2021, it's still the same way. Right. And yeah. at that time, it was a new development. This whole area was. So. Yes. So it was this this was kind of a nicer area of right. town and you felt safe living here and that was kind of encroached on and then you know having a nun and that's pretty sacred right right so and and elderly ladies like exactly it was just ugh. so bizarre and, and peculiar and I, I would imagine the community being hard pressed to to put pressure on the authorities to find a suspect find a conviction mm-hmm. in that murder specifically just because of the, the details surrounding it being a nun. Yeah, and obviously I don't remember this case, but I remember times dad expressing um, anxiety about pressure from work. Like, like having hurry up. pressure on him. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, to kind of piggyback into what we were going to originally first talk about, like, you know, we'll get into Johnny Frank Garrett in a second, but that first, what was his first homicide? Do you, do you guys know what it was? Or was it just probably something not, obviously it wasn't as high profile, but... Whether how many or do you know of any before Johnny Frank? Pretty notorious ones that maybe weren't as public. I know there's one you want to talk about, but I think that happened after. Right? Yeah, that one did happen after. And um, he did. He was always working on homicide. It seemed like after that, but that was probably the first major one that I I know of. I have no idea. <laughs> that, that, that's fine. That's fine. Um, to get into the Johnny Frank Garrett case, um, what was y'all's first? Uh, based on your father's recollection and investigation, what, what all can you tell us about that homicide? Like just start from what you know, and we'll kind of go, th- go through that. Cause I know we're going to talk about kind of the Quackenbush okay. fan fiction basically is what we can call it. <laughs> I like that. Um, because in, in your words, in which I think I've heard a lot of y'all aren't the first people have said this. I mean, I know you want to defend your father, but you, you feel like this, that, 
that was it on Amazon Prime or was it Netflix? I think it was on Netflix for a time. No, it, well now it's on YouTube. I'm sure it came out like on VHS DVD back then. I've seen it on Prime. It, it might have been. I feel like that's where we watched. But it. I watched it on YouTube when I first discovered it, and that was like maybe ten years ago. Or, or no, wait, what's the movie though? That, it's called. That's Johnny Frank's Garrett's Last Word. That that, that came is. out as a as a Hollywood theatrical film uh, in 2016. That's what I'm. That's yeah. the one I'm. Talking but the about. documentary. To get a good idea of the case from from a fan perspective and just an outsider looking in, I had to watch the documentary to get the, all the details, and then the movie was just a spinoff of the curse. That so, came which one of those was the quackmush? Was it the documentary or the the, the movie? The documentary. I would put quotes around documentary. Yeah, right. <laughs> Loose quotes. Yeah. So that's that's the one we're talking about is his fan fiction. Have you guys seen the movie though, no. the 2016 mm-hmm. film? Do you have any interest in it at all? No, not really. I, not really. Okay. Other than just kind of curiosity about how they portray dad. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so go ahead, tell us in your own words what what do, what do you guys remember from this case? What do you guys remember? What was the first thing you remember about your dad with this case? Well, I remember that dad started having to be called out for a lot of late night work during that time and he would be gone for um days sometimes you know just pop in for a little cat nap and then he was back at it again because there was a lot of pressure um but i do remember when they were talking about you know they think kids aren't listening or listening to everything right right <laughs> um they were talking about uh the confession that he made and I was at home when the phone rang and it was late at night. So I was listening to see who it was. And he said, that was the guys. And they said that they accidentally um, erased the confession. Wow. So I know that it existed at some point in time. So you, and you heard him talking about it. So you know that the confession did exist. Yes. And he did say on tape that. He said that he was saying the Lord's prayer while he was raping her. Wow. Yeah. That's creepy. And our yeah. dad was the one that took the confession, right? <laughs> yeah, dad did take the confession. He also found the fingerprint on the bed, and um, he identified the fingerprints on the knife that was used to kill her. Um, wow. He, they had put him to working, um, you know, back then, fingerprints were on index cards. And so he was having to go through index cards, comparing the fingerprints. And they had him looking at sexual assault cases and he couldn't find a match and so he just said well i'm gonna try burglaries and he found johnny's fingerprints and he says that's as good as it gets right there so do you remember where is how did james or lisa or anybody know of where how long was he at large technically does anybody know that I don't think it was long. It, it wasn't. It was a matter of days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it did go over 24 hours. Yes. Because right? um, they interviewed somebody else as a prime suspect before that, a Cuban. So in your opinion, did that fingerprint was your dad pretty much the one that got him? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there, was, there was always speculation on the other side that he was pressured into a confession and do you all know if that's if there's any truth to that i don't think my my dad was pretty ethical i mean and i think (laughs) i think standards and practices and all of that were different at that time um but it was important for our dad to be ethical 
And you know, that's something you always hear with cases. Oh, I was yeah. pressured. And you don't ever know if yeah. that's the truth. And most of the time it's not. Yeah. Most of the time it's just a fabrication. Yeah. But in this instance, I did research in the case. That's something I came across. And yeah, you know, who's, who's, I mean, you well, guys are the experts. So, and it's like you said, I mean, the times are different now, right? Yeah. Things that were considered okay back then are not okay now. Just that's the evolution of a technology, medicine, the way you mm-hmm. treat people, yeah. not just physically, but mentally, right. uh, yeah. you know, so who knows? I think he definitely would have followed um, exactly what he was allowed to do. Now, if he was allowed to do more than, than you know, yeah. Texas are allowed to do now, probably. Yeah. And the- there was a lot of um, arguments that the fingerprints, like they found, he found a fingerprint on, I think the, the, on the bed, like on the, the headrest. Mm. Um, and they said, well, that he'd helped move in furniture. Well, and I think that's why he wasn't at large for very long either, because I mean, they had talked to him early on, even before they like arrested him, I think because he had been like, everybody was like, Oh yeah, he was here helping. Right. Like, mm. And he knows all the ins and outs of the building. Yeah. Knows how to get it, in. It was right. pretty easy to make the connections for sure. Yeah. And, um, I was kind of telling you earlier a little bit about um, in my abolishing the death penalty class, uh, Dr. Price showed uh, the last word video to us and I got to write a rebuttal in it. So I did some research, you know, and um, went out there and I spoke to the nuns and they said, oh, yeah, we believe Johnny did it. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And um, they had no doubt. They did not believe in the death penalty. But they also believed he was the one who did it. Right. At one point, the Pope had stepped in to yes. halt the execution. Yes. But again, that's because they don't, the Catholic Church doesn't support the death penalty, mm-hmm. not necessarily in support right. of Johnny Frank Garrett. Now, with, uh, with all that being said, and that, you know, the nuns knew that he did it, with the, the way that the confession went, how, or, you know, it got, got erased. What caused that to get erased? Do you guys know? I have no idea. Nothing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, do you? And so what, I, what I'm getting at, if you're listening, is uh, we're piggyback, piggybacking off of what uh, Lisa and Karen can give us as fact to James being pretty much a un, uncertified expert in these cases. He, he, he loves reading up on this stuff, so he knows a lot about it. So I'm going to ask, do you know of anything about that? What, have you heard anything about what may or may not have happened to that? No, I, I'm not privy to any of that information. Um, but what I, what I will say is I know so much about this because I grew up a few blocks away on Northeast 21st. And I'd always heard stories of, of what had happened. And at one point, the story was a nun uh, hung herself in the basement mm. of the, the convent, mm-hmm. which I was just a kid when that story was told to me. But that was totally false. So I would always had like this... Um, urge to figure out, you know, what really happened. And once I became an adult, I just, you know, like anyone else that's into true crime and that sort of thing, I just read up on it and educated myself right. and found out as much information as I could. But having you two here, I mean, it's dream come true to kind of get the other, <laughs> the other side of the, the, uh, the story, you know, and, and here he gets to meet his celebrities. He never knew existed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I mean, it, it does like things come full circle and, it's just something that I've always, uh, you know, been interested in since I was a kid because I lived in that neighborhood. Yeah, the only things I can remember, you know, I, you know, I was born in '87. James was born in '88, and I remember growing up on uh, 19th Avenue, uh, Northeast 19th Avenue. That's where my 
grandparents lived and you know it's just literally a block away from there and i remember riding bikes with friends and we always heard yeah the the nun was murdered there that place is haunted and we'd always try to we'd ride our bikes in the parking lot and that's about right we tried to get in as well because there used to be an old high school that was there alamo high school and it's been since torn down but it was abandoned for a long time, and we tried to get in there. I have friends that went there. Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, that place was creepy. I do remember it that. Because you had to, where the murder took place was on that, I think it was on like that back part where they lived, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was went, an upstairs. Yeah, and he went to school there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, but when I when we were growing up, that building still did exist where the high school was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he could, lived right across the street, if I'm not mistaken, like right, on the that's corner. Right, yeah. I wonder who yeah. lives in that house. Do you know the address? Uh, this is a Spanish family. I don't know. Uh, do you know the address at all? It's right well, on the corner. Well, don't say the address. I don't, yeah. know the, I don't know the address off the top of my head, but it is on the corner. So. Okay. That's close yeah. enough. So. <laughs> um, what, what, uh, do, you, do you remember your father ever telling about the arrest that was made or anything you guys know about the arresting officer? How did that go? How was he approached? And what evidence really solidified the arrest? Besides so, the fingerprint. Have... The fingerprint was a, a big deal, but they did have some... Uh, um, what we consider forensic science now, like, you know, with how the FBI profiles somebody. And there was a professor at WT that did profile the case and had said that it's going to be somebody who is Catholic who had... That just seems like an educated guess to me. Probably somebody who um, was uh, had a grudge against their mother um, because... There were a lot of instances of mm-hmm. elderly women that were being mm-hmm. um, raped and strangled. And by the way, all of those ended when he was arrested. And so. he wasn't accused or, or convicted of those others, but they did stop when yes. he was arrested. Yeah. So, do you. You, in Europe, and like that, I really haven't heard too much of. James, what do you know about those other murders? There was a few other murders, maybe two or three, prior to the Today of Ben's murder in that neighborhood. And they were all elderly women. Elderly, like in their 70s. And they were and all 80s. in that neighborhood? How far apart were they? I don't know about that. But... Probably within uh, six months to a year, I think. And they, they did no murders? Really there was either. one that actually happened within hours. Were there any signs of, of sexual assault in those murders? Yes. Yeah, so uh, odds are it was probably him. Yeah, that's what we think. Yeah. Did, did he ever speak on that at all? So other than the there was also, and I don't know, this is not stuff that I know from personal, from personal connection with my dad, but in researching the case, there was some hair, black curly hair found at the pubic murder hair. site. Yes. And well, so Johnny Frank Garrett had black hair, but also it did resemble pubic hair, but also the environment at the time was they had a lot of anti-Cuban yeah. and there was a Cuban that was convicted, a Cuban man that was convicted of a murder in that general time but period. I, I thought you could do follicle testing in the 80s. Well, there was... They sent it to they the... They kind of screwed the, it up. They, they <laughs> sent it to the Go FBI figure. lab, and um, it was inconclusive. Yeah. But there was also some mishandling. So there was probably some and there were, tampered evidence. Whether the, There were rumors of it being an Afro-American hair follicle. Yes. The the hair, actually, from what I've read, actually, there was a lot of, like, doubt cast just by the hair. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that the gentleman... Is it black? (laughs) (laughs) Go go in the bathroom, Jared. Plug one out, and then let's let's do an out. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's, it's, it's great. (laughs) 
the general, the the man that was uh, incarcerated and convicted of another murder, he later supposedly uh, confessed to the today of Ben's murder. Do you feel like that was truthful, or what do you think yeah. about that entire circumstance? Go ahead, Perry. and be honest. Say say what you feel. I don't think that. I think it was. Johnny Frank Garrett. There's a lot of people that confess to murders that they didn't do. So I right. think, well, that know, I never yeah. got. Yeah. Publicity, maybe, because they feel like they're not getting out. Yeah. What was the circumstances I, with that I, guy? I think he was trying he to... He was convicted of rape. I think he was trying to, like, plea or you know give information to to, to bargain. Right. That, that's a huge possibility. And that's common, I think, yeah. for that to happen. It is. And there was also, I mean, there were so many things in there that, like, my sister said that kind of cast out... Um, they had a psychic that popped up in the newspaper saying that she knew who did it and all of yeah, this. Yeah, her name was like Mrs. Bubbles or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? It was, it, was, it, was, it, was it was an outrageous name. Yeah, it was and bubbles. it was a local <laughs> psychic who, she had this bizarre theory, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the theory was. Do y'all remember? It was, it was, it was bizarre. She but. was like, I can't see his face, but I can see his profile and... And was that the psychic they had worked with at other times? They had. Yeah. Oh, they worked with. Them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She had worked with the police department. So after before. they, but it was after they read it in the paper that they went down and interviewed her. How does that work during that time period? Because is it kind of like okay, we're getting at the bottom of the barrel, can't do nothing. We, this isn't going to hurt it. Why not? Yeah. Is that how that works? Yeah. And okay. they can't use that, but it can help them find things. Right. Right. So this is the first time I'm going to broach this topic since that got brought up. Um, Lisa and Karen, you both are members of a paranormal community. Well, Karen, you, you are she's involved. Worked, she's worked with us before. Yeah, I have. You, you, you're, you have a foot a in that door, yeah. though, right? Um, of kind of a paranormal kind of community. Uh, Lisa, you were one of the sensitives to helping track and, and investigate paranormal occurrences, correct? Yes. So what is your opinion on a psychic? I... I think um, it proves wise to be skeptical. Okay. Um, you can't just take anybody at face value because there are a lot of people out there who claim to have gift and they don't. Right. But so, we also would say that you know you there are times yeah that people know things. But I think a healthy dose of skepticism uh, is wise. Yeah. I mean it's a it's a strange balance, um, keeping an open mind, but at the same time. Is this really accurate? Mm -hmm. I kind of like the approach of utilizing it as a tool, but having to back it up. It's kind of like instinct, like gut instinct. And I feel Mm -hmm. like our dad used gut instinct a lot. Um, But it's, okay, pursue that, see where that takes you, see what you can find. But you've got to back it up with some hard proof. Okay. Very well said. Very well said. I I like that. Um, for those listening, we, we hope to eventually, and we may touch on it depending on time, but uh, we may not, but we would love to have both of you ladies back because we want to talk about paranormal stuff with you. Uh, we, we talk about, if you listen to Bomb City Locker Room Talk, we talk about paranormal stuff all the time. Uh, we we want to we talk about ghost stories. We'd love to have you all be a part of that. Uh, James and Jared both, I think, well, Jared's had a paranormal experience. James is definitely a believer in things of that, that nature. I am a huge skeptic of it. I'm not the skeptic in the sense that I'm going to say, you're full of shit. I'm not going to be that way. Thank you. But <laughs> I, I just, I'm one of those people, I'm one of those people that 
if I can see it and I touch it, it's real to me. Right. But I'm not going to discount you well, because I'm not in your shoes. You know what we, I mean? Yeah. Right. And know, I think and that's we, how people should be. And we understand. We have yeah. we had you know one parent that had some gifts, and then we had another parent who absolutely believes that it does not exist. So. We don't. We don't openly discuss it with. Even our own, like all our family. And I can imagine that's difficult. It is. That's very, it's a very difficult. Like, it is nice to have each other to talk about. Oh, it really for sure. <laughs> and, and we, we I, trust me, if you got, if, if we don't offend you too much and, and you have a good time tonight, we would love to have you back to do a paranormal That'd episode. Be great. Um, but yeah, me and my wife, we, she's huge into that. She's a huge believer. We watch Ghost Hunters all the time together. <laughs> and she lo- loves it. And I just sit there and make jokes the whole time because I'm a jerk. But well, sometimes we make jokes about yeah. those kinds yeah. of shows. There, <laughs> but there are things that have happen and we will talk save that for that podcast but there are things that i've went okay i can't explain that i really can't yeah and and it happens so spontaneously Mm -hmm. that you're not prepared for it right and it doesn't necessarily scare you it's just there and you're like just questioning yourself like what just happened yeah i've had that happen but like the 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 one phenomenon that james has told me is like a phenomenon that a lot of people have i've had the uh either the loud bang or cabinet slamming sound happen a lot Mm -hmm. in both of the homes that i've lived in the, the house I live in now and the previous one can't explain it. Don't know what happened. Um, maybe I am, you know, they say when you get down to it, maybe you're just too afraid to admit that you, you won't bl- allow yourself to believe. Maybe, maybe that's the case. So to tie this kind of into what we were talking about, um, and, and I've only shared this, I think with Lisa, I've probably shared it with my fiance, but, um, I, so when Lisa wrote the rebuttal about Johnny Frank Garrett and the Quackenbush, mm-hmm quote-unquote documentary um (laughs) um, we that was really when I learned about it I really don't so I tend to be a researcher I love history and so I delved into it and and like I said it was a good way for me to try to connect with my dad and um and so in learning about that and then she came over and told me about her experience interviewing the nuns and she came to my house which is has been in our family for a long time and um and we sat there and talked about it and she left. And that night, I really was creeped out in my own house. And, and this is a house I grew up in because it was our grandparents' house. And um, I really was creeped out. And I felt the presence of Johnny Frank Garrett. Now, you can oh do with that what you want. But yeah. I felt like he was there. And so I actually am really careful about talking about this he case in my home. He hasn't me. I, I, I don't blame you. So, and that's, does, does any of this stuff make you uncomfortable? It doesn't. While you're here? No. Uh, But I do feel a little bit like, and I I hesitate to say this because I don't want to creep anybody else out, but I I, I mean, I I kind of hesitated because I didn't want to bring his presence to someone else's home. I get that. I I hear that a lot. Like I said, my wife is a huge fan of this. My best friend is a big fan of this stuff. So I'm I'm skeptical, but I'm open to it, right? And so, like, it's it's very interesting to hear those things. Yeah. Um, But I also believe that they kind of have to respect that if you don't want that spirit in your space, you can absolutely tell them to go away. So, I mean, if that was something that, you know, you felt like we invited someone here tonight that wasn't welcome. Don't sue us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be kind of a weird thing to sue. But I don't think that'd hold up a court. I might get Quackenbush so, as a lawyer. But, but I, would, I would say you could say out loud, like, you're not welcome here, leave. Right. And, and I've that, always heard that's a way to cast them yeah. Away and, and that and, and that worked for them. me, mm-hmm. and uh, he hasn't come back since then. So along the same lines as our conversation now, uh, he, Johnny Frank Garrett, professed his innocence till the moment he was killed mm-hmm. or executed. Mm-hmm. Um, killed. 
Per the Catholic, per the Catholic Church, he was killed. Well, you know, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Price always said, if in the state of Texas, if you kill somebody, we kill you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not eye for an eye I'm, law. I don't support yes. the death penalty personally. Yeah, we're both a little mm. right. So on the same, uh, hang, on, hang on, I want to hear. I want to hear how you two feel about it. <laughs> what do you two feel about the death penalty? What if you took the mic away? How do you feel? <laughs> oh, I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm against it. Really? End all, be all. You I, can't because I'm. You know, there's, there's. As I've gotten older, as I've gotten older, I've, 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 I've turned more, uh, and you know, having kids helps. But uh, yeah, I'm against it. If I, if you have to <laughs> gun to my head, <laughs> I'm gonna choose against it. So the reason that I I, I said really to you, you know, you're an avid gun owner. Um, ah, allegedly, you're not. You're not very. You're not a religious man. Nope. So so that's that's what I'm getting. Most people that are against it, and I'm not pegging anybody to be religious here. I'm not putting labels on anybody. But I'm saying is. Most people that are against the death penalty view it as a, as a as against their own religion. With granted, being with the Catholic Church, how we talked about earlier, um, what what is it? What is it about you? Is you just feel like that's not your place? I'll put it this way: you shouldn't have to kill someone for killing somebody else. You just shouldn't have to. And if we're public, and if we're, we're we're dealing out consequences and punishment because we feel like we have to do it, then maybe we should reevaluate what we're doing. Because if we have to do it, then there's pressure to do it. There shouldn't be pressure to kill something because that's what you don't want. You know, they say don't spank your kids because what are you going to do? Oh, you hit your brother. I'm going to hit you. That's, that's just encouraging the behavior. Okay. Well, and it's true. In doing the research um, in the abolishing the death penalty class, Half of the class drew, um, we had to write research papers. And the one that I drew was against the death penalty, which prior to that, I was for it. And really? then, yeah. And, and then, just taking that class kind of changed your mind? Yeah, I kind of just believe that the worst of the worst, maybe. But still, when it happens, you have um, kind of an unexplained violence that follows when you have mm. an execution, especially a highly publicized one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes so much of the public's resources. It is so costly to do a death penalty case. Um, and then of course you have, now we have DNA, but it takes a long time sometimes for those people that are on death row to finally get that assistance. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that um, our, and this is a whole different discussion. Yeah, I want I want to know why both of y'all feel. I think our criminal there. system, um, our criminal justice system, it's focuses. Broken. It's, it's terrible. Broken. It focuses it's terrible. way too much on punishment and mm-hmm. not enough on rehabilitation. Yes. Oh yeah, uh, I'm going to interrupt real quick and That's let you okay. finish. But um, one thing I saw that they do in Switzerland is yes, that it's, the, it's, it's a it's a prison, but it's the the prison is set up to where. And this is from what I've read, and I don't know if this is complete accurate. I haven't been to Switzerland, but it's it's basically like there's a there's a it's almost like a little town, and there's like a grocery store, and there it's it's reacclimating those people back into society. It's yes. going to rehabilitate them mentally. And they've had um, not very many recidivisms as a result and, of that. And that is like the proof is in the pudding yes. that locking people in cages, and you know, Adrian, come here real quick, please. Good God. <laughs> 
So, so Adrian is, uh, you know, uh, is uh, here listening, and she's been on the podcast multiple times with us before. Uh, but she works for TDCJ, and so you know, you know, Adrian, get up. What What is your opinion on like as far as like the prison system itself in America? Do you think it's successful? Like you, you see it day in and day out more than anybody. Do you think? Do you personally feel like the prison system in America is? No, you're being hard. Okay, <laughs> if, I, if, you, I, I, if you really, if you really I don't, don't want to talk about her. it, like I, I don't blame you. I don't blame her. I, 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 this is what I do, though. I pick on my friends. If you don't, it, no, but I wouldn't want her to jeopardize her job or anything. <laughs> we'll we'll no, talk. No comment. We'll talk later, Adrian. <laughs> and if you want to do that off podcast, we can. Yeah, we'll do it off podcast. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. That's my fault. I didn't feel like her talking about that could jeopardize her job. Really, when you think about it, like that's just an opinion. But at the same time, criticizing I get, I get your it. employer can be risky. See, that's the thing. Like I do that all the time. I hate my job. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's another side. There's another side to this whole story that I'm gonna dive into. Yeah, kind of open the box to it. Um, you know, Johnny Frank Garrett. Like I said, he he profess his innocence up until his final breath. And as a result of that, um, his, he had some infamous last words. Well, we have something to say about that too when you're done. <laughs> which, which some say sparked a curse against those who were involved in his conviction. A slew of individuals connected to his demise, 14 in total, began to pass away in similar mysterious ways. Being familiar with the paranormal realm and that sort of thing, do you believe Johnny Frank Garrett, Garrett's curse was legitimate? So the easy answer is no. Right. <laughs> go, go ahead. We've I had looked, to ask. Oh, I'm so excited to hear this stuff. Like, I'm just like a kid. Like, tell me more. Tell me more. Um, so as far as the last words go, we were actually talking about this before we came over, and we looked it up, and um, the Texas Department of Public... Cr- criminal Justice. Criminal Justice. Uh, has TDCJ, no, yeah. has no record of his last words. Like they don't they, have any. They said, well, they said that um, he denied his final words. He was given the opportunity and yeah, he the, denied it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd have, always heard that he, there was a letter, and I've seen copies of a letter, but I, who knows yeah. if it's he, legitimate? What were the last words? There's so a long. The, the, I mean, and is, the is, movie there, is there says a like, to it? Well, the the quote unquote documentary. <laughs> um, basically has him cursing. And I think the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the bas- movie is based on the curse. Yeah. Basically has him cursing all the people that put him in prison in his last moments. And, you know, very dramatic. Making it very dramatic. Yes. Yes. But that it didn't It makes happen. for a good Hollywood movie. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was made up. Yeah. That didn't happen. Because yeah. they have to, like, I mean, regardless of you want to look at the case from the 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 hair follicle or whatever that happened in the other case, mm-hmm. uh, tampering with that, the misplaced evidence with the, uh, the tape record, the recording, the confession. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are things in this case as a whole that goes awry, but TDCJ, once they're in prison, that that is a separate entity. They have to do their job and record public record. They usually yes. don't mess that up. I don't right. think I've ever heard of that. Get, not getting, the, getting the lost. The thing that makes me I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Sure. There are there are archived photos of a letter with his signature and the signature pretty. So, so a letter yeah. that might be different. Who knows? Yeah. It was a letter that he supposedly wrote prior to being right. But okay. if if executed. this is, if this was as per 
the Quackenbush documentary. No, this <laughs> is screaming in his. The this right is outside of the Quackenbush. Okay, yeah. Thing. Well, I'd be interested in looking. Yeah. At that. So we don't actually know anything about the letter, but um, to speak to the curse, which I think we've both been very excited to talk about. Um, so Quackenbush in particular, but I think the movie, and I think some other people. Um, you spoke about the 14 people who had died from mysterious illnesses, and our father is listed in that list. Quackenbush listed our father as dying from leukemia. Our father died from a congenital heart defect that runs in our family that yes. he had from birth. And he did he did the same about um, Jimmy Don Boydston. Right. Um, I was friends with his daughter before she died. And so he's on and, that list, too. Yeah, she died of COVID. Um, but... Yeah, there's so many. I did when I did the research. I was like, "Can you believe they said Dad died of leukemia?" You know, I mean, and it's public. It's public record. You right. can look it up. And in in the documentary, there's a, there's a big uh, a part where it talks about the the corrupt medical examiner. Well, that's Ralph true. Erdman. Yes, <laughs> he was convicted of numerous felonies with uh, falsifying oh, yeah. autopsy reports yeah. and things like that. He was doing weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he was the Do you think he, he played a part in getting the conviction of Johnny Frank Garrett? No, because I mean if you if you looked at her body there was evidently there were well, there was bruising and there was there so were the stab cause, marks. Yeah. The cause of death was strangulation. Yeah. Um but she did have stabbing in her face and she did have evidence of rape. Um, but what actually killed her was strangulation. Okay. Um I think the the one kind of important part that that his actions, the um, corner, I believe corner, his actions play in this is that it it just opens that door for more doubt. Exactly. But we don't feel like it actually had any effect on right. justice. Mm-hmm. Do you do you two believe in curses in general? Yeah, I do. Yeah, you kind of you, you kind of have to, I guess, with given your. You know, I don't think you have to, but <laughs> I, I, I think I've seen too many examples that okay. I've seen it played out. Yeah, I don't know that I believe in curses per se, but I believe in bad energy and mm-hmm. being able to kind of direct that bad energy at people. Well, that's a curse. Yeah. So I guess that is. Do you, uh, let me rephrase the question a little bit. Do you believe in demonic energy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Do you think he was possessed by any kind of demonic energy? No. Even picking backing off of what you mentioned earlier, having that bringing but potentially bringing right. him into some place even that doesn't so, you don't think he had that I, so i believe that um spirits of souls of people who pass on um can still communicate at times mm-hmm. with those in the living realm and i felt the presence of johnny frank garrett's soul did it feel malevolent yes okay so what, what i guess the best way to phrase that is he you don't believe he was possessed to kill the murders. You believe he was just a bad person, but because he was a bad person made a malevolent spirit, I guess. So my 12 year old son and, and Lisa, I had just had a conversation about this yeah. okay. um, just before it came That's over. Funny. Yeah. So we talk a lot about, and my son and I talk a lot about this, that we don't believe there are bad people. There are bad decisions, bad choices. And, um, Johnny Frank Garrett, a lot was made and, and rightly so, I think of, um, his history, his past. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 
horribly mistreated yeah. um, as a child and a teenager. He was abused and put in a closet, locked in closets. Yeah. Sexually, and, physically, emotionally, yes. you name it, by he a, was abused. By a stepfather, right. I believe. That was one of the things I was eager to know, if he was as troubled as the media portrayed him to be. Yes. And you know, the thing is, um, I have a, a friend who is a cop who went through, um, he actually <laughs> is a chaplain as well. And he has counseled the Garrett family and he believes, you know, that as well. So, and so I don't know that he was necessarily a bad person, but I think that kind of abuse does has to affect you and has to affect how you view everyone else. And it, and I think that kind of trauma and that kind of, and not knowing warped, what to do with all of that yeah, warped sense of everything mm-hmm. um, wouldn't necessarily change because you'd passed on into okay. the realm of the dead. But I do believe there are bad people too. <laughs> I, I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> but I, I don't tell Karen. But, <laughs> but feeling that way, I, I what when you said that, I kind of went. Hmm. I never looked at it that way before. Doesn't necessarily change how I feel, but I I think that's. The openness of it is kind of something that there the, has to be something per- said about perspective it. You know I mean? Is 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 awesome. I mean, it makes sense. It yeah. does. Yeah, it really and, does. Um, well, and and I would like to say something else about sure. that. Um, the fact is that he had a very very low IQ, mm-hmm. and having been exposed to all of those things with, you know, with a low IQ and not knowing how to express that in a healthy manner makes it very easy to understand why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was young. He was 17. And Which is such a hard age. Yeah. And for so that's another reason not to really believe in the death penalty for somebody. They've changed the laws since then. Yeah, right. he would not be executed, executed under today's laws. laws. Right. You don't think so? No, he wouldn't be. No, oh, because he's 17? His IQ, his IQ, his IQ. and his mental mm-hmm. health. And there's, yeah. there's a law. That, he was the, it was that low. Yes. yes. There's a law that he cannot be... In, exonerated either if, if there was evidence to prove his innocence right. well, now he cannot there's a i can't remember what the law states but i do know that he cannot ever be claimed innocent. innocent right now is it i i think it's i i've heard of that like people becoming declared innocent after they've died like posthumously but i think if it's i think it had to have been before that law got put into place right and that how that works so. Um, Jay, well, it probably depends on state. But it's, it's crazy. That's yeah, true. Kel, J. Kelly Pinkerton was also sentenced to death, and he was the youngest person in the state of Texas to ever, 16. ever face the death penalty yes. and be executed. He yeah. was 23, 24 when he was executed. Yeah. Johnny Frank Garrett was 26. They were close. Yeah, they sit on death row for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, the appeals and that whole right. process. Kind of what we were talking about earlier, like... Uh, I'm for the death penalty, but I don't, I'm not for it when it's like, okay, this person has been on death row for 20 years. Right. Like uh, people do have the capacity to change whether it's murder or not. Like I, Mm -hmm. I do believe people have the capacity to change who they are deep down inside as a human being. So it's okay if you kill them before they come to that point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if they're, (laughs) yes. Okay, fine. You know what? I'll argue that. Yeah, it is. It is because in my opinion, that person, uh, they committed a heinous crime and they probably had no remorse for it. 
But if they do, if they have the capacity to develop remorse later in life, but you know Jeffrey Dahmer had some remorse. people don't though. And are he you going to wait twenty years? Jeffrey to, Dahmer to had remorse him. about what he did. And, oh come on! But you know what? <laughs> no, you know I'm who serious. didn't have remorse? Richard Ramirez, and he sat on death row yes. for thirty years, and he died, he died on death row. Yes. Yeah. I don't understand why he was not. I mean, it's California, but I mean, yeah, yeah. he should have. They been have a death penalty, but they don't actually execute people. No. no. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I heard about somebody dying in a Well, the very few states still execute. Mm-hmm. Even if they have the death penalty, very few states still execute. Well, that's just like um, Ted Bundy said. He asked his mentor, where are they killing people these days? Because he <laughs> wanted to stop what he was doing, and he couldn't. So he went to Florida on purpose where for they, that reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I just don't understand like why they sit on death row for so many years, and then it's like, uh, they have the capacity to change, and, and in my opinion, and uh, you know, I, I just don't understand. Even even if they don't, right? Let's say they don't, but after that much time, it's like if if the family of that those victims are kind of like they get they they give forgiveness, right? I think that's you know, could you make a point to the could come down to that? Like, if the family forgives them, then what is the? Why well, are you trying to kill that person? Well, families have intervened before and asked. Not to do that. Yeah, the DA they, or whatever. And they can take that don't. into consideration. Yeah. And they, but that, I, what I was saying is that I think they should do that more often than not. Because they, that, it could be, it can combat that. It's like what we were talking about. Prisons are just overpacked in general. Yeah. And people sitting on death row are just, you know, taking up space and taking up taxpayer money. So, But I'd rather them sit there than... Die. Than, than be out and... Or, or, yeah, I mean... And, yeah. you know, and they're having to live with what they did. They're mm-hmm. not just being killed and it's over with. Right. Yeah, and that can be more torturous than yeah, just being killed. Oh, no. I mean, listen, you guys both have degrees <laughs> and backgrounds and are way better at this. I'm just giving my personal opinion. I, I, would, I will take anything you want to tell me and I'll be like, yeah, that's probably more accurate, right? Yeah, go with that. So, if we had to put it to a vote, state vote, I'm going to go with, I'd vote y'all's side. Cool. <laughs> so let's say, let's say it is more torturous to sit around and wait. Wouldn't it then be the government's responsibility to kill them so as to not make the punishment... Uh, what 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 is it? Where is it? Where the punishment can't be worse than the crime? No, I mean that's not actually that. But the government cannot impose a torturous. They can't. We can't torture our citizens. You're saying they can't kill them. The way they kill what's the? Term? Yeah, but I think they, no, no, no. I'm saying if, if, if but it's I think more you, we're, unreasonable we're, punishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable punishment to make you think about what, what you, did. you did it's like sitting a kid <laughs> I mean, in the corner you're talking about you don't hit your kid you sit your kid in the corner and make them think about yeah, oh, what no. they did <laughs> you got owned just like i did shut up jared now i'm having fun to go, to, go, <laughs> to go back on track with the curse of the 14 people that died in mysterious ways is there what what in y'all's opinion of the, have you heard about all of those things and like what do, what is your opinion on the deaths and like well so we know of at least two that we can tell you right here our our dad and Jimmy Don Winston were not even accurately reported what their cause of death was okay right? and so they weren't mysterious cases at all like our dad's congenital heart defect has been documented through. And we have lots of grandparents. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of men in our yeah, family I can't believe who have died they, of it. They, they, when, you, when you said that, I looked up right. and they were like, they said. In the movie, yeah. I'll just spoil it. I mean, in the movie, Danny Hill, the district attorney, mm-hmm. he kills himself. Yeah, that and happened. And they yeah. were debating whether or not they wanted to put his daughter's death in the movie as well. She also killed herself. Right. Um, but that 
that it's, never transpired within the film, but they're saying Danny Hill was, was one of the, the arch nemesis towards Johnny Frank Garrett and, and throwing can, the book at him and was, getting him I can only imagine, convicted. though, being a prosecutor, the, the emotional book, baggage. The weight, yeah. yeah. He had suffered from depression before that. He came over to the house frequently. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, depression can run in families, too. Mm-hmm. So I can see where that happened. And when yeah. his daughter... Right. Killed herself. Well, I mean, and if your dad be... killed himself, like, that's going to be um, a contributor to your The daughter too. killed herself first, I think. Well, really. let, let's, let's just go ahead and start with it. Set the record straight. Give us what you feel are you're so upset about that, not, not that you came in pissed off raging, but, <laughs> like, what are the things that you feel uh, definitely got it wrong? And tell the, tell the correct side of it. Well, the incorrect cause of death. Like that's for just fact. Yeah, for our dad, that's, that's just not right? fair Factual, at all. Right? You know the inaccuracy. But also, he called them ladder cl- climbing cops, and I mean the portrayal was that our dad and others um, had no regard for justice or truth. That they just wanted to get a conviction, right. and that this was the scapegoat, the patsy, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call him, and that it didn't matter you know, who really did this, that they just wanted to get that conviction on the books. And I would say, so I, this is the, this is a story that I tell about my dad to people all the time, because it's one of the most vivid things I remember about him. And I think it really speaks to his character. Um, when, so he was a big baseball fan cause he was a baseball player. And so he would watch baseball on TV every time it was on and the Texas Rangers in particular, but when the Texas Rangers would begin, you know, they would play the Star Spangled Banner on the TV, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he would literally stand he up in, in the, the living, living room, room and take off his ball cap and so put it over that's his a, heart. That's a pretty good judge of character right there in and of itself, right? Definitely. And, and so somebody like that is not the kind of person that's going to just completely disregard justice and truth to get ahead professionally. That was not who our father was. He had flaws, absolutely. But that was not his character. Right. And I think that's the most upsetting part to us. Well, and there was such a... To me, anyway. You know, like, Quackenbush's crew went down there to the convent. And they went in there and asked... Cult. The nu- Cult. <laughs> not crew. No, sorry. Like I said, I say what Wasn't I... Wasn't Jeff Black... <laughs> was Blackburn and part of it as well? Yes. Was he really? Yeah. Yes. He was part of it. He was at, he's oh, actually have, speaking in the I documentary. I have other things to say about him, too. <laughs> Go We're for not it. fans. Go for it. I don't think and, many people are. <laughs> the, the nuns said that they went down there and they asked for permission to um, film the convict. And they said just the front. And they went all the way around to the other side where the window was broken, where he had broken the window to get out of there. And um, they just disregarded. I mean, it's so disrespectful to those little, I mean, they were, 100%. you know, they're, they're elderly women now. Mm-hmm. You know, there were only two of them left when I went down there to well, talk to them. they were elderly them. then. Sister Today Evans was only, I mean, she was 76. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. Just uh, and I mean that like yeah to go down there and harass the elderly. Yes. Well, yes. I think I think that these people really took advantage of of people. It was and, just and a were way to make a buck. Yeah. Oh, 100%. That's all it is to them. Well, look, he had to save up money to make open big beaners. You know, so <laughs> you really don't want me to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> that's another rabbit hole we'll have to go down. Yeah, yeah, maybe one day we we'll go down that. Um, but yeah, like. 
these are women that potentially were in the room and saw, walked in and saw, found their friend yes. and their confidant, or I guess what would it be the, their, their mentor. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and who they looked up to as a leader in Christ and, and things like that. And just to see that. And then it's, it's always here all the time. Like as a paramedic, people come up to me and say, Hey man, what's the craziest thing you want to, you've ever seen. And it's like, you want me to li- relive my worst nightmare? Sure. Like that's, that's basically <laughs> what they did to yeah. these old people. Yes. Yeah. So. She was naked and, you know, bloody and, and all of that. And I, and, and not to get too religious, we were raised really religiously, but it makes but me, we're not, we're, we're not <laughs> as adults, but we were raised that way. Um, same, same. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty common. And right then here. college happens and you start to learn about things <laughs> and start to think critically about life. Yeah. But it makes me think of the story of Lot and his three daughters and how they saw him naked and drunk. And then, you know, the one went in backwards and covered mm-hmm. him up out of respect. And uh, I just, I, I think about seeing someone that you respect and care about in that state. And, and I guess it just makes me hope that, that the approach by law enforcement, our dad, all the people involved was handled with care to, to yeah. stand backwards and cover around. Yeah, it's, it's a, as somebody who's been in those situations to where you have to talk to people that don't that don't live that life it, mm-hmm. you do have to treat it with care and you know the filmmakers filmmakers probably did not do that. there were finger quotes i just because there's, there's <laughs> that video there was air, fing, there air, air quotes, quotes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah the i mean the film was very theatrical and i think what really boosted the story even more is that it happened on halloween and that's mm-hmm. one thing that's always stuck in my mind how this crime happened on halloween and a nun was murdered and raped that was halloween as well yes it was Mm -hmm. i mean it i did not know that it's the perfect setting for a fictional story that anybody Mm -hmm. would would just Mm -hmm. conjure up and create the movie halloween there you go i mean it's just it, it the whole story has so many twists and turns and then the curse thrown on it like it's it's a perfect but if you look at it logically like he was, you know, raised in American culture where Halloween is a night to do pranks and mm-hmm. right. and people are murdered on Halloween in the movies. Yeah. And I'm sure he was exposed to all of that Which culture. Which I think that first so. one came out in 1979. I think We're that's when it came time. out. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that time period. Could have inspired these two. Yeah, 100%. And they, since they both, that's what I was saying. Like, they both happened around that time frame, uh, you know. Were there any credible witnesses that night that saw him actually at the scene? I know that there was a witness that saw him. I don't know about like their their character or anything like that, but yeah. yeah, there was someone that did spot him. Well, I, I seem to recall that they they had seen him, but it wasn't like a where they could easily identify him. I had read that they they saw him that night beating a bush with a stick. It's like some crazy person just, we we saw where on the side of town we grew up on, right? <laughs> and and I've also heard reports of them seeing a. Cuban man, African American man, yeah. wherever it may be, running away from the convent as well. Well, guess where it took place. I'm assuming it just like where we grew up on the north side of town. It probably the demographic was just yeah. the same then as it is now. Well, it was a little bit different back then. But I, I'm, I'm yeah. saying like that that probably wasn't uncommon, right? Especially the the, yeah. the Catholic services were bringing in Cuban refugees. people refugees yeah. into right. the area. Right? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. All, a lot of the 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 not necessarily refugees. Well, I guess they are. Can, can be, but uh, the of the heavy populace, Burmese, uh, Somalian population we have now live into where 
that they were bringing in Cuban refugees, yeah. Vietnamese, refugees. Re- Vietnamese on like Eastridge and things like that back then. So it was close enough. So yeah, this this Newsweek that I have has a whole article in there about, um, and this was in 1975, um, about the Cuban people coming in at that point in time. Yeah. So. Which yeah. is funny because she just has the Newsweek because there's actually an ad with our family in it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any of those framed at home? No. 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 I need to get some of like those like comic book sleeves to put those in and take yes. care of them. Yeah. yeah James, take James take some pictures with your phone of those before you leave because uh, that I, I was going to tell you on air too. Thank you for bringing these uh, basic pieces of history. We have True Detective Crime magazines from the 80s, the 70s, and... And uh, it's just a, and they're very well kept too. So, well, yeah. and we were looking online before we came over here on, you know, you can just Google Johnny Frank Garrett. You can Google like Johnny Frank Garrett, Wall Yerger, and, and stuff that comes up. And um, there's actually a picture of Johnny Frank Garrett in the in the courtroom, where you can see our dad. And so, like, if you wanted, you know, any, he was standing by his mother because prior to that picture being taken, he was comforting her after she heard the verdict. Do you know of any gotcha. place in town that may have that picture? Uh, you know, I've seen like, I've of, seen a but picture other than of it that, like, is it, You think there's something hanging? It, there's there's a possibly there's something um, out there that has there been. are pictures. If you go to APD in like the is it where in the hallway or in the yeah? Well, <laughs> I interviewed um, uh, Lieutenant Bohannon um, for a class project for an ethics class. And I told them who I was, and like I got the rock star treatment going through there. And they, <laughs> oh, I bet they have all of like their pictures of okay. like the special crimes unit, and so like our dad is in a lot of those that's pictures. Cool. Like yeah, on the and wall he kept there. introducing me. This is Walt Yerker's daughter. Yeah, that's <laughs> is, awesome. Is there any way to uh, that I would be able to identify? Him? Is there like a plaque having like okay, bottom right is yeah the special crimes okay, unit cool. ones? I think they list. That's cool. I'm gonna have to go see I mean, that. He's, he's wearing like a powder blue blazer. <laughs> so. Was he, he, he was a very fashionable man? Like a mustache. No. <laughs> mustache. He does look very much of the era, yeah. yeah. Like, he That's looks awesome. like an 80s cop. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. And he always looks put out, you know? Yeah. Like he's yeah. taking my picture. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, before we finish with the Johnny Frank Garrett, I just want to ask, is there anything else y'all want to talk about that we may have not covered that you'd like to get off your chest, talk about with your dad, anything on that case, just because it's such high profile? Yeah, that's probably the most high profile case you worked. There were several other murders that I know that um, he helped solve in this area. There was a really big one at the time. Um, I was uh, telling you a little bit about it. it was a Hispanic woman that had been yes. killed and the way that they they um, caught the guy was he, of course, typical criminal bragging. Mm. And he had said that he buried her out in Valley de Oro. Okay. And so they followed him for nights with this guy who was trying to get him to take him out there. And then it was like on the fourth night and they were just exhausted, you know, and all going undercover trying to follow this guy. And then they followed him out there and... He unearthed her, and they arrested him right there. So he was just bragging that, hey, I'll, I'll show you it. And yeah. Wow. But it was just pure patience getting, you know, the bad guy. That's right. super cool. I think there's a lot that our dad did in this area that, that probably we don't know and yeah. that nobody will know. Yeah, and I'm just grateful for these. My aunt had saved these uh, true crimes. That's awesome. Don't ever get rid so, of those. Yeah, I'm going to keep these forever. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but, yeah, and then there was another case in one of those that um, – I got tickled because he told the guy, freeze. 
Just like in a classic <laughs> yeah. 80s show. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and he, um, it was a drug-involved uh, murder. And I don't remember all the details about it, but it was just one of several that, you know, he worked on in those late nights he was gone. And I know that was hard on our parents' marriage. Mm, and, right. you know, being married to a, a cop or anybody in emergency services has got to suck. <laughs> I can imagine being a, de- a detective being like just you were talking about just the anxiety and having to, I got to do this fast and I got to do it now I got to go away sorry yeah. I got to leave I got to be uh, phone rings I'll be right back you know well, I think and right felt, back turns into hours well I think you probably felt a lot of pressure too because like I think about having a one-year-old child as a parent now because I was one when sister today events was killed and um I having about, two teenagers yeah, at home two too. teenagers <laughs> a, a, so it would have been a one-year-old a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old and um and and knowing that there was um at least one murderer loose where those children lived and mm-hmm. i just I, and knowing that it's your responsibility to catch them well, it's, it's yeah. better motivation than that you know what yeah I mean? yeah like, yeah but i think it definitely has um in a lot of ways shaped a lot of our attitudes oh, to our our value systems, um, you know, even down to like our attitudes about gun ownership, you know, things like that. Um, I, I just think, um, even, even though I didn't know my dad for that long, um, he influenced me a lot. Yeah. Like <laughs> I would bring a date over and he'd make sure he is out cleaning his gun when, well, and, you know. and old school. And Lisa, <laughs> Lisa was the age and our brother too. They were the age they were driving and stuff when he was still around. And so, and he was still on the force. So like if she got pulled over, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it happened. <laughs> Not good. Oh, I, I know your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you got the same last name. <laughs> yeah. There's that. And then one time in high school, um, we'd gone to, I don't know if y'all remember Charkel, the hamburger place. They're kind of young. For where that, where was that? And <laughs> hey, we know Wimpy's on the boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Charkel there on um, right, right, 34th. Yeah. And Bell. Yeah. Yeah. And my best friend and I were at lunch and we were getting, pulling out to leave to go back to school. And I backed into a truck and we were already late. And we looked back and I was like, did it hurt the truck? And she was like, no, go, go, go. And so <laughs> it turned out it was the owner of Charkel's pickup truck. And an officer had been watching the whole thing. Probably they're trying and to get his burger called it in and dad was listening to the scanner and <laughs> so then I got pulled out of my last class of the day and and uh, there was a cop in there with the vice principal and he said um you obviously don't know what happened by the look on your face and I was like I'm glad you're reading it that way but <laughs> <laughs> should take, uh, take you to Vegas play poker <laughs> <laughs> he said uh your dad heard it on the radio and you're lucky he did because that was a hit and run and um, he wants you to go by and apologize to the owner first and then go see him. Well, I wasn't worried about seeing the owner. I was it worried was about dad. going to see dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we said, he had a, he had a really strong sense of like justice and, yeah. um, and that translated to us sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Uh, how many, do you know just off the top of your head, how many murders he worked? I don't. It would be a lot though. I'm yeah. Sure. That's insane. To, yeah. to, to know that, I mean, now Amarillo, 
is considered probably one of the more dangerous cities in Texas. There's a lot of crime that happens here on a daily basis that a lot of people don't know about, but that right. is true. It's statistically one of the higher ridden towns in Texas mm-hmm. for crime. Uh, I just didn't picture it like that back then. And I don't know why. Yeah. I, I do remember, you know, a lot, even when I was growing up, people just didn't lock their doors at night. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that's how it was then. I still and know people who don't lock their doors here. We, they, they probably should. We, <laughs> we always locked our doors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We always locked our doors. Yeah. You know, and, and if you think about the time period, too, one of the things that I was telling Lisa I remember about dad's professional life as, as a young child is I remember one time him and my mom talking. And again, children listen and you don't always realize they're listening. Um, but at the you know early 80s with um, the discovery of AIDS, and um, and and not knowing exactly how it's passed at that time, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, would also be dealing with prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, a woman that he had brought in professionally scratched his back oh. or somewhere on him, you know, scratched him. Maybe it was his face. I don't remember exactly, but scratched him somewhere enough to draw blood. And um, so then there was um, a lot of tension about he had to be tested for HIV. Oh, and, my goodness. Um, you know, just the, the potential there for, right. you know, that consequence. That's scary. hundred yeah. yeah. percent. And I noticed one of the, the articles said that he was, they said, uh, he was soft spoken. <laughs> we laugh at that because he was always like very gregarious mm-hmm. and funny. He always had a joke and he was really he very sharp. irreverent humor too. Absolutely. Yeah. Pull my finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, actually at his funeral, the, the reverend, doing the funeral talked about that he told a joke about that dad would be going to St. Peter in heaven and like saying, pull my finger. And I couldn't stop. Laughing. And we laughed so hard because it was so accurate. That's funny. Kind of gives an insight to it. You have to have a sense of humor to do something like he did for so yeah. long. But I think yeah. he was also like when he presented himself professionally, he was very soft spoken and direct and professional. The two sides of him. Yeah. yeah. There was a murder that that I wanted to ask you about, and I was curious to know if he had worked on this case. It was uh, Jim Vanderbilt. He was a former Emerald police officer in the 70s, and he had abducted a 16-year-old daughter of a teacher at Powder High School, and he took her north of town and killed her. And then came back to town and was looking for more victims, and he he actually got got caught. Do you Um, know when that was? I think it was the late 70s. I don't know anything about it. But he he also I know, I know it, was on but... death row and he eventually um, I think died in prison. But yeah, that was one of the other infamous murders that I knew growing up growing up from my mom because she went to high school during that time and right. it was a big deal. So that's another one that I was kind of curious. I don't know anything. I don't know about if I've ever heard of that one. It's just like it's like we said. You know, it's weird to think that so much stuff just happens that you don't hear about. Yeah. Right. Try being the one whose dad did, <laughs> did that. all that. Was it weird? How 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 clean was the house from his work clutter? Was it just like a ungodly? Did he have a room that was just like mounds of files and no, pictures? Mm-mm. I don't think mom allowed that. No. Our mom is very very. She, she's very neat. She runs a museum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um. He. He was very detail-oriented, though, you know. Um, I remember a briefcase, so I think he took a lot back and forth. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, like I said, coming home yeah. and then being, you And know, everything was paper, not digital. Right. Do y'all still have a lot of his files and mm-hmm. stuff like that? No. Yeah, so, so when, my parent, when our parents split when I was 11, and she would have been like 20, um, we, there was like no, <laughs> like his stuff all went with him. So, right. okay. um, the, so we don't have all that stuff. I mean, like things like these, these magazines, that's precious to us because someone saved that of him. Mm-hmm. Right. We have very few things left like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. just in fact, was that two Christmases ago, I got her a, a journal and wrote down like all the good memories I could because she didn't have that experience. And so I wanted to share that with her and she'd have that little piece of him. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, yeah those yeah. things are precious to yeah. us. Absolutely. Do you, do you, uh, do you think, um, do you know what might have happened to any of that stuff? Did, did it just kind of well, get lost over time? Well, he remarried. And so I think probably a lot of it was with his second wife. And she's since moved um, to a different part of the country and probably yeah. got she's probably rid of a lot of, of that stuff. Of it, yeah. 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 Well, you can find a lot of archive stuff in the Amarillo Globe News. At yeah, the some of that would just library. be professionally owned by the police department, too. Yeah, I was going to say, but doesn't, isn't there a certain time period that things become public record? Yeah. Yes. How does that yeah. work? Like yeah. all new, all old news articles, you can go through the database. But I mean, like actual, like, like you can files. you can go down the to files, APD, yeah. It's public record. And you can they, access stuff if you want to. They right? They may have destroyed some of those files. Probably. I guess once a case gets solved, there's no need to well, keep it anymore. I mean, there's they, like they, tax they, laws, actually, so there's probably stuff. Actually, like that. what they've done because ah, she knows she's a criminal justice. <laughs> <laughs> she has a master's in criminal justice. So. They um, have updated it and put it into computer systems, mm. so it's oh, okay. compact and not taking up space. You, you could know. probably petition under the the freedom of information act uh, oh that's it would, it would be so cool to dig through all of that now yeah just to just have a day to just go yeah. like i'm gonna click on this article yeah, and that I, went, one, this I went to the library to find um information on the johnny frank garrett case when i was doing the rebuttal and i don't know if you remember this karen but when i went down there all of it was missing somebody had taken all of those files really? it was creepy yeah uh, that is creepy well i have a guess <laughs> the truth was in there it it, it might rhyme with smacking bush as as x-files would say the truth was out there or ackburn is there the final thing i want to ask about your dad and if james has anything else um about your father is there one thing that it's going to be twofold. What is the one thing, the one case that stood out to you as a kid? Was it this because it was high profile or was there one that was like more emotional baggage than another that you remember him just working hard? doesn't necessarily have to be a high profile murder, but was there one that he, just, he was just like, I can't get this. I can't figure this out. I think it would be the one where the woman was buried out in Valley de Oro just because it took up so much time. How patient he had to be. Yeah. And he was, he was lead on that one. That was like, he had a lot of pressure for that because he was in charge. So I remember he was gone, you know, if he's dad sleeping. <laughs> Don't wake him up. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only the chance he gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what is Aside from all the criminal stuff, you know, your father passed away in 2003. My grandfather died in 2012, and he was like my father to me. What is the one thing um, that you just remember the most? Oh, gosh. Um, I always wanted to be like him, so I did so many different things 
that he would do like I played ball. Um, you know, I wanted she was kind of his favorite, I think. <laughs> I was. <laughs> <laughs> The older one always says that. And the younger one always says what you said, Karen. Well, our brother would agree. She's the middle child. <laughs> yeah, I've always heard middle childs are the favorite. Yeah. I don't know. I've always heard middle children are the trouble. But... Oh, they're the troublemakers, <laughs> yeah. but they're always good because they get away with murder. Yeah. yeah. Um, we did a lot Not together. You probably wouldn't because your dad would catch you. No. <laughs> exactly. He'd find the fingerprint. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I have, like, something in particular coming to mind i mean they're funny he was funny he was really great sense of humor karen and i always think of him at christmas time um <laughs> uh oh holy night uh-huh. where they say fall on your knees it was playing and he was walking across the living room and he just fell to his knees when it said yeah. you know it was just so random and he would do you stuff like that it. all on your knees yep. <laughs> yeah 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 that's um, awesome. He smoked a pipe. Oh, yeah. So anytime we smell pipe tobacco, we think of him. Like we think cherry of and you know, um, when yeah, I, cherry, yeah. Cherry. Cherry. yeah, I love that smell. Yeah. When I, I worked for probation, vanilla too. Um, oh, yeah. I was working with uh, a drug court and I was in there with the judge and it, the judge, it wasn't the normal judge. Um, he came in and he said, well, what kind of name is Updike? And I said, well, that's my ex's name, but. My maiden name is your granny. He stopped and he goes, well, are you related to Walt? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, I loved Walt. Oh. And then, <laughs> you know, you always hear good things about him, people who knew him. And we were going through our staffing. And in the middle of staffing, he just looks up at me and he goes, as I recall, Walt smoked a pipe. <laughs> yes, sir, he did. <laughs> a beautiful, like, carved kind of. Like when you think of a detective, yeah. you think of a detective that smokes. Absolutely, he yeah. really was that detective. I mean, That's he so wore cool. the powder blue blazer, had the cop mustache. He liked donuts. Yes. He was a little overweight. What color was his hair? Um, red, like strawberry. Oh, blonde. really? Mm-hmm. So was his growing up. <laughs> he, he had he had the kind of the horseshoe with oh, okay. the little bit of strands on top. Uh, yeah. Did he own aviators? Yes. 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 <laughs> there we go. Yes. And wore them a lot. We were on it. we were on vacation. Suspenders? Uh, no, no suspenders. Oh, okay. Sorry. No. A tie. There was yes. always the, loose oh, like the tie. And the cuffs of the shirt opened. <laughs> no, and rolled up. No, no, no. The tie around him his neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, he was more kind of the put together seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So But we went on vacation one time and it was one of those it was like a Paul Bunyan big statue. And the guy that was voicing it looked down and he goes, hey, cop. And he was calling dad out. And dad's like, that guy's an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Now he smoked pipe tobacco. Do he smoke cigarettes? No. No. He he smoked a cigar later. As far as you know. He probably did when he was on a case. Well, (laughs) he had asthma. So, and we did too. And so, you know, mom was always telling him not to smoke the pipe. And his dad smoked cigarettes and then died of lung cancer. So... Um, he was a train, avid, avid train aficionado. He loved trains, and our brother really got yeah. that. He had a model railroad. railroad. He was in part of the model railroad club here. Oh, those yeah. are so really? cool. Yeah, and he was actually like on the front page of a paper newspaper with me, with her, because her <laughs> class, like, we lived like half a block from the elementary school that we all three went to. And she got to bring her class, like, for a field trip home to see like his model railroad. And they all write. Do you all have any papers. of those still? 
I have an engine that Don't his second wife gave me. Our, bro- my our brother has weird. a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, our brother has some. They make yeah. replicas of some of that stuff, but all that's like the original parts yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like, don't ever get rid Mine of Mine is for my son because my son is the one like biological grandchild. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's getting all of my memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, well, ladies, I appreciate you very much for coming on and talking with us about thank your father. You. This yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really liked having being here with you guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, this yeah. was this was thank fun. You. This is probably, in my opinion, this is the best podcast we've ever done because awesome. we're, we're not we're not talking on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. and, and y'all are some of our first few in studio, I guess you would say, guests. So. Thank you it's for, for cool coming <laughs> and being a part of part of our podcast. Thank yeah. you guys. It's been a lot of fun. We really, really, I'm not even joking. We would love to do a paranormal yes. episode with you guys. If you're totally up for it. I know it. I would be. I probably would. Okay. I'm not as open Me about this. We can drag some of more of my team in. How, yeah. So <laughs> please quick, do, please. To kind of, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we could sit y'all down and let y'all just have the mics. <laughs> exactly. Um, to kind of preview that, what... How often do y'all do those things? Investigations, I guess. I, I don't know. Is that what the, the, yeah, the nomenclature yeah. would be? It's really when somebody reaches out, we don't charge. And so um, we're just kind of open to whoever is needing the help. Um, we have investigated the um, Blue Front Cafe before. Okay. Um, we've done a lot of personal homes. So if somebody's having an issue in home or has had any experience and they want to talk more about it. Um, my team is always, we're always ready to go. Awesome. So I'm not actually a part of the team. She just brings me in and <laughs> I've done like one. She, she did. And it was really weird because we picked up on the same, the same spot. Even my dog did. <laughs> yeah. And like the same feelings, the same yeah. I mean, interpretation. We both got goosebumps at the exact same time. Oh, wow. And it yeah. wasn't cold. Do you, do you bring hot. your dog with you on all of them? No, I'm, only when he can come. Oh, okay. But, yeah. He's, he has participated. You know, I don't know if y'all know what a rim pod is. It's a little uh, widget that you put on the ground, and it picks up energy within a certain radius. Okay. And he was really curious about it and booped it and it set it off and it scared him. And he just kind of endeared himself to the whole team at that point. So. <laughs> He's a pretty cute dog. We got to bring him. Uh, <laughs> what, what is the one thing to, that you would delve into, like give a preview of like, what is something like, what is the weirdest, creepiest feeling of a building you've been in? Hmm. Let me think. It's probably been with her. I mean, I have an answer separate from you. <laughs> you know, um, it was not with my team. I was down and visiting a boyfriend at the time in Mississippi. And we um, went to visit the Jefferson Davis house okay. there mm-hmm. and walked in. And I had to walk right out because I was going to vomit. Just really uh, walked in and picked up the Energy. negative stuff. Right. Yeah. Wow. And they said that several people had gotten sick in there before. So. Oh, wow. Well, Johnny Frank Garrett came to my house. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but other than that, one one building I think in town that would be awesome to investigate and kind of spend some time at is the Herring Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I've actually I've done a tour of the entire building. Oh, that would be fun. And I've went mm-hmm. on the roof and everything. It was it was a really neat experience. Oh yeah. And I'm sure that that place has got well, some spirits. You know, when sure. I worked at probation, I worked at the Santa Fe building. I was gonna. Oh, that was my yeah. next question. Yeah. And you know, um, that ballroom has some energy. Yeah, the ballroom does. I've been in the ballroom. What's but, happened there? Why Why is there so many reportings of hauntings? Well, I think because probation's there. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, I mean you know, we talked about energy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got a lot of, and then a lot of people come in very anxious, you mm. know. Um, so you don't think somebody has to die in a place for a place to be haunted? Oh, no. Really? I, you can that's bring in, people see, with See, that's you. interesting to me. Yeah. That's super cool. That's what I think, too. Yeah. Well, we, we know that sometimes we take people with us when we leave places yeah. or we bring people with us when we come places we're sorry if we brought anyone tonight that you didn't like <laughs> yeah um, but at the at the santa fe building i remember sitting um on the eighth floor where we do our groups you know counseling groups at night and you're the only people in the building left at that point in time um which we complained about often <laughs> um i would a lot of times see a shadow figure peek around the corner and they would just have to ignore it and just mm-hmm. continue to do group, you know. And that was really, that was unnerving. I'd call her. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a relative that he, at one time he owned that building. And we wow. used to go, oh. we used to go to the top and watch the parades oh, wow. go down Polk Street. I remember doing that a few times as a kid. Yeah. Wow. So the th- top floors seem to be the yeah. ones that really have well, some energy. You know, a lot of times I think spirits don't want to be bothered. And they go to the spaces where there aren't people. And when we invade that space, a lot of times we get activity as a result. That makes yeah. sense. So I worked um, at it for a period of time, like a, not even a year, probably six months or something, at um, a counseling center that was located in the old Northwest. Is it Northwest? That's there on the boulevard? That's oh, no, the old BSA. St. Anthony's. Anthony's. The yeah. old St. Oh, Anthony's. That one's creepy. It is a creepy building. And um, we were in like the old part up in the top. It, what it, it was was the labor and delivery area. Mm. And um, I picked up on a lot of energy working there. And my interpretation of it, and I don't know how accurate it is at all. No basis at all on this other than just my interpretation of, of the feelings that I got there was that um, the death, the natural deaths of babies and mothers in childbirth, um, but also abortion. Oh, my goodness. And so that was heavy. Yeah, was yeah really that, heavy. That, that got heavy for me. Like, oh, <laughs> that, that brings up a memory. I have a, a close friend of mine who uh, worked for BSA Security, and he had to patrol that building at night, oh, yeah. mm, all night. It's a creepy building. And he, he told me a story <clears throat> one night he was walking down the hallway and you know, most of the doors were open and he, he's, he's probably halfway down the hallway and a few doors in front of him, a chair slides across the entire hallway into another room. And he's like, what the fuck? I got to get out of here. <laughs> so he, he bolted. He left. Yeah. He didn't work security there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, he had to kick homeless people out of there all the time. He thought maybe, yeah. maybe it's a homeless person, but he didn't hear anybody. Well, in it was really night. eerie because you would go through certain parts of the building and it would, it was just like people just dropped things and walked away. Like yeah. didn't clean it out. You know, like usually when you get out, of oh, the no, yeah, you I've, clean it out. I've, I may or may not have 
trespassed into that building before. <laughs> and like, it's crazy the amount of medical equipment that yeah. and is still, yeah. and this was, you know, 30, I'll be 34 this year. So that was, was probably like 20, 19. So fairly recent, you know, that thing shut down, you know. In, yeah. I worked there in like 2000. It was around the time dad died. It was like 2003 somewhere. Because they were, they were running, you know, the BSA hospice was still connected through the hallway area. You and that just that there. recently stopped operation, right? Well, and now it is a, uh, it is a, it, that they're is now Faith City a... Missions. That okay. is uh, yeah, that's what where heard. it used to be on Buchanan and 2nd. Well, they're Second. turning the St. Anthony's into a laundry it's service. A, yeah, I, I heard that it did sell, sell finally. Because the, the reason it's set empty for so long is the guy that owned it was not budging on his price. Yeah, I heard, it, I heard it was supposed to be retirement too, like a village. Is, is that not going to uh, happen? So an God, organization, not. the North Heights organization mm-hmm. actually purchased it with Emerald Area Foundation, and they're um, trying to create industry that benefits people who live in that area. Which oh, okay. I think that's a great idea. That it is it's a great. great. Idea. You, and you, so one of the they things they're doing is a laundry building. service. So. Yeah, I mean it's a great building yeah. to. Uh, I, just I feel need to sorry clear for their the workers. Asbestos out <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but night. hopefully, maybe when they clean the asbestos out, they'll get rid of some spirits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, ladies, thank you so much for coming and spending your thank evening you. with us. I hope we weren't uh, too boring, and I hope no, that you guys were awesome. So yeah. this, this, was, this was fun. Uh, appreciate it so much. Um, Karen Logan, Lisa Updike. Had to look at my paper to remember the <laughs> remember the last name there, but uh, we we hope to have you guys again. Uh, thank you for listening to Bomb City Locker Room Talk episode. What was this, James? Forty three. Forty three. Forty three. Yeah. I'm Joseph King. I'm Jared Scott, and I'm James Fairchild. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time.